It's 8pm, Tuesday, June the 4th, 2019, and you're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste with Sharon Noonan. Good evening and you're very welcome to tonight's Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and on tonight's show we are in the beautiful Phoenix Park at this year's Bloom which celebrated its 13th year in 2019 and has become one of Ireland's largest showcases for the best of Irish horticulture food and drink. I personally think it's a fantastic day out and it offers a huge range of practical information on everything from gardening to growing fruit and vegetables, cooking and culture. And this year the event included 22 show gardens and tonight I have details about three of them. There's the BIM Aqua Marine Medium Garden by designers Oliver and Leit Sherman, which not only won a gold medal, but also the best concept garden accolade. The large Healthy Way Garden, sponsored by Healthy Ireland and Board Bia, designed by James Purdy, which was awarded a silver medal, and the UCD History of the Irish Diet in Plants Large Garden, which was designed by Dr Caroline Elliot Kingston, Dr Muriel McClatchy, John McCord, Kieran Rooney, Hannah Johnston and Neve Conlon and the UCD Garden won a silver gilt medal. And I'll also be talking to Chef JP McMahon who was cooking on the UC Garden during Bloom 2019. But before that, if you'd like to get in touch with me here at the best possible taste, you can make contact by emailing s.noonanlive.ie or you can tweet me at Queen of Org as in Queen of Organisation and I'm on Instagram at Sharon. Jay Nunham. So our first guests tonight are Jim O'Toole and Oliver Sherman. Jim is the CEO of BIM and Oliver Sherman, along with his wife Liat, designed the award-winning garden that BIM had at Bloom this year. This was a truly amazing design and it richly deserved being awarded the best concept accolade. Let's have a listen to find out more about the garden. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Jim, you have a family there. They're absolutely fascinated by your garden and I'm not surprised at all. You've outdone yourself this year and last year BIM won the overall award so you really had a challenge on your hands to come up with something <laughs> completely different, unique, novel to last year and I think you've achieved that. Well, that's exactly what the challenge was, was to try and do something very different even though what we did last year was was quite uh, different. Uh, last year we had a, a, a boat uh, in our garden this year we have uh, an underwater garden. So uh, what we're trying to do is give a representation of a typical uh, Irish seashore, a, a rock pool, a very big rock pool, and show the native species, both plants and fish. And what we're really uh, uh, trying to focus on is the story of uh, the work that BIM is doing with the fishing community to try and uh, clean our oceans uh, and uh, so all the the garden is surrounded by um, litter that has been collected by fishermen uh, and that have taken it from the marine environment and we're just showing uh, I suppose 
to raise awareness to the public uh, that, uh, again, as everybody knows, but to, to reinforce the point that our marine environment is a delicate one and it needs to be minded and managed and that we all have a responsibility in that uh, task, but that our fishermen are, are taking a very proactive stance in when they go out to sea and fish, uh, they also are collecting uh, litter from the ocean and BIM is helping them to get that uh, collected and responsibly disposed of. And uh, the, the actual litter that's on display around the garden here, along with natural seaweeds, um, is actual material that has been taken uh, from, from, from the, the refuse collection that we have done at, at, at our ports around the country. Tell me about your designers and what was the brief that you gave to them? Um, the, the brief, uh, Oliver and, and Leah Sherman uh, uh, are our designers. They have been uh, designing gardens here at Bloom for very many years uh, and they were really interested uh, in the challenge of trying to communicate this issue of uh, caring for the marine environment and uh, the challenge that we all face in trying to take plastics out of the ocean. So it was a, it was a very challenging brief. Uh, uh, both uh, Oliver and Leah have a close association uh, with, with the sea uh, and they have used a lot of their uh, personal relationships that they have with people from the coast in trying to understand and interpret the brief and to come up with what I think is uh, a really different uh, garden here at Bloom and I think uh, that it will, will uh, make people maybe stop and think a little bit uh, and, and uh, I, I think it's very engaging and of course we've had, as you mentioned earlier, there was, there was children here looking at it. We have in the front of the rock pool, you can, it, it's visible, you can see a kind of a cross-section of, of, of the rock pool and you can see uh, various different uh, uh, fish species uh, swimming in, in, in their natural environment it's fantastic yeah, so you have crab and you have prawns we've you have cra- starfish we have we've, and, 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 and limpets and we have some mullet and there is a, a, a lobs, two lobster in, 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 in behind uh, so all of these um, uh, are typical uh, species that we find around the Irish coastline and I suppose the point we're making is this is their living environment this is the environment that uh, we depend on uh, to, 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 to feed the, the growing global population and uh, it is one that uh, we cannot choose as a dumping ground and we all have a responsibility to try and um, I suppose be more aware of our own personal actions uh, in, in how, how we engage with that. In terms of logistics then, it must have been quite challenging to get all the bits and pieces here, like the water is from off the coast of Mayo and the sand has come from various different places. That's right, there's a, a number of, of uh, beaches uh, around Connemara where, where uh, some, some sand was collected. Uh, as, as you say, uh, Oliver uh, got a water uh, from, the, from, the, from the coast off Mayo and it will be returned there. So it is a living example of the Irish coastline. All the constituent parts have come from and in, more importantly will all be returned there as well. Yeah, I think visitors to Bloom, they always wonder well, what happens to the garden whenever the event is over on the June bank holiday weekend but you always have a plan in place for that. Indeed and in fact for the construction of this garden uh, the, the material that has been used uh, 80% of it 
is, is from recycled sources already and it will be recycled once again. So we're very careful that our footprint uh, for, for the construction of the garden uh, is, is not going to add to the problem that, that we're trying to, trying to tackle. I think it's an amazing way to showcase the importance of sustainability and looking after our seashores. That's something that BIM is very committed to, to doing in day to day. That's right. We have uh, the Minister uh, of Agriculture, Food and the Marine in, in January launched a Clean Oceans initiative and uh, he, uh, he challenged the uh, fishing uh, sector to try and become more involved in this and, and we are working very closely with the sector uh, and indeed uh, all the, the trawlers that are involved in, in, in the programmes that we operate around this area are very enthusiastic because they understand that the marine environment is their workplace and that they have a responsibility to hand it on to the next generation. And uh, so we have, we have a, a very, um, I suppose, uh, we're in a happy position that we're w- working with a group of people who are very, very committed uh, to, to um, helping us achieve this target where every uh, trawler that's working in Ireland is participating in this programme to bring uh, marine litter out of the sea and get it responsibly uh, disposed of on shore. And I think as the summer months come upon us and more people are travelling to the beach, like the Leave No Tree, ethos is very important and maybe to pick up a few extra bits as well Absolutely, another another aspect of the work that we do in this area is that we, we, we engage with coastal communities on coastal cleanups uh, and absolutely I, I think everybody that interacts with the sea has a responsibility to leave it uh, as they found it. Fantastic, well listen lovely to talk to you, it is an absolutely mind-boggling garden congratulations and best of luck with the judging. Thank you very much Thank you so Oliver, you with your wife, you are the, the brains behind this garden. It's just outstanding. I don't. I would imagine you don't design gardens like this every day of the week. No, I don't. I mean, I do enjoy designing show gardens because it's such a challenge and the, to expose an idea to so many people. But if you do that, it has to be, it has to be exceptional. <laughs> and I believe you have a personal connection to Connemara. It's a part of Ireland that you spend a lot of time in. Well, I dream I could spend a lot of time in it, but uh, I don't spend enough in it. We do have a little fish, fish, a fisherman's house on the coast. And you've great friends and connections there that have all contributed to the garden. Well, the best friend is Pat Malloy, who takes me out fishing, and I enjoy it so much. He works me hard, but I enjoy it. Whenever you got the brief from BIM... What, what, where did you get the inspiration from to come up with something like this? Because it is a very unique design, not something I've ever seen before. Well, the inspiration, it, it's really you get a brief and you find out what a brief that is so challenging and difficult to, to translate into an exhibit. That's what, we, what tempted us. So we started, our, your mind starts spinning and you start bringing all sorts of elements together. And you, then you start simplifying and then you come to a product and say, oh, wow, that's it. We don't want to do Bloom again, but we'll submit it anyway, see if they go for it. And that's what happened. This isn't your first time at Bloom with a garden? Uh, I think it's my 13th. Okay. 14, uh, I don't know how many, but we've done more gardens than Bloom has been around. <laughs> and what's so special about this as a festival for you as a designer? Well, again, to, it's, it's an amazing platform to expose an idea to so many people. I, I think it really is. And I mean, we can come here and we can do something and we can, uh, we can be judged on it prof- professionally and 
um, and we can just challenge ourselves. That's what I think is fascinating. Now, I'm very curious as to how you got the seawater all the way from County Mayo. Well, those, that was two old lads in a big tanker uh, of 30,000 litres, a lovely silver tanker, and it's from the most pristine uh, water sources in the world, 30 uh, kilometres off the coast of Mayo. And it'll go back there when you're finished? Well, Monday? all water goes back to the sea, so I don't think it'd be the carbon footprint of actually <laughs> bringing this back to the to Connemara wouldn't be would, I couldn't justify that sorry well, listen it is absolutely such a striking garden I'm I'm in awe of it really it, Thank it's you. kind of it's totally breathtaking well my wife would be thrilled because I mean these ideas you can only do them if you have someone to bounce ideas off if you work on your own you kind of you're, you're led astray and that, that is a fascinating thing. And what I'd also like to highlight is that we've used materials, 80% of them have been re, our recycled materials from previous show gardens. And, for example, the glass at the back has been used in three different So you took gardens. the sustainability brief very much to heart? Very much. And we love storing. We value our materials and we put them in storage and then we reuse them. And if we all did that with plastics and so on, I mean, a plastic bottle can be reused a lot of times if it's a high-quality plastic bottle. But it's not. A lot of these drinking bottles are of a lower quality. They're actually leaching, uh, solvents are leaching into what we're drinking. So it's not just that we're causing litter, we're actually poisoning ourselves directly. Great lessons to be learned all round, I think. Well, we've learned so much just doing this garden. I mean, I, I could have done without it, to be honest. But, uh, but then again, it's great and you, that you can stand back and people like yourselves enjoy it. You know. It's absolutely wonderful. Congratulations. Well Thank done. Thank you very much. Best of luck with the judging. Thank you. Thanks. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste with Sharon Noonan. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and just before the break we heard all about this year's award-winning BIM Garden thanks to CEO Jim O'Toole and designer Oliver Sherman. It's very hard to capture in words the impact that seeing the BIM Garden had. So if you weren't at Bloom or you didn't see it at Bloom have a look at the photographs of the garden online to try and get a sense of what they achieved. And the next time you're on the beach remember the Leave No Trace ethos and take all your rubbish with you and also maybe pick up a couple of extra pieces of rubbish that you see lying about in order to make a small contribution to cleaning up our oceans which together we can have a major impact and improve it. If you are just tuning in now you might want to catch the best possible taste on West Limerick 102 FM when it's repeated on Wednesday mornings at 8am. The podcasts are available to listen to on SharonNoonan.com as well as iTunes and the podcast app. And still to come tonight, we will talk to one of the designers of the UCD Garden, as well as Chef JP McMahon, who used produce from the garden to cook with during the weekend.
Next up, however, designer James Purdy picked up a gold medal for his The Healthy Way Garden, which was sponsored by Healthy Ireland and Bordbea and featured a pool which, despite the wet weather when I visited, was enjoyed by a number of brave swimsuit wearers. I wasn't one of them. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. James, tell me about your garden here at Bloom. This garden, to me, had an interest to do a garden like this. And I was waiting for the right brief to come along. And with Board B and Healthy Ireland, they were asking for a garden that brought edible elements into it and had exercise activity through it. So it was a very interesting, diverse brief. And for me, looking at it, I was, well, how do I make a show garden? What's edible? What do we perceive as edible? And how do we place edible crops into a show garden? So I started out with the four main vegetable beds and instead of rectangular or square I made them oval and placed them throughout the garden and I wanted to carve the edible ovals out of a mature woodland setting, naturalistic planting. Because to me there's a connection there between our original native woodlands before we would have deforested them or cut them down for arable land that we could have carved out edible pockets or edible areas and that's you can see that in other parts of the world so that was interesting for me and then moving to the exercise elements once I had those edible areas people would naturally garden them and plant seed harvest teach so you had activity there and there's activity then throughout it and then looking more into activity there's a large swimming pool provided natural like an outdoor pool for anything for children playing to somebody with a bad back wanting to do a few strokes or even just get in and rehab like re- rehabilitation and water is proven to work. And then also reaching out to like, you know, what a family would be looking for, a large, lovely lawn to play different games on it. Um, and then just into the rest of the woodland plant. And I've been added in gooseberries and blueberries and herbs and tried to stitch more of the edible into the planting mix. So there's not so much as a, an area that, that this is all food. You have like bushes, gooseberry bushes and things dotted in and around it. Yeah, I didn't want to have like edible section, ornamental. I wanted it to fuse together and flow together. And I think the fluidity of design of the curves and the carving of spaces gave the space a very movement feel to it. Because if you're in the right angles and dead ends, that can become quite staggered. So this to me was just about letting it breathe. It's just, you just came through one end and seamlessly went to the other just to convey movement. Um, and then the planting just enhances it. And again, you're working with a planting palette that is dappled and green to the point we've got the colour, but you don't detract from the vegetables because if one had to outcompete the other, then the language isn't right where you're not celebrating both on equal par. You're letting the floral take over the vegetable. And then you just look back and you think you can see the red cabbage and the peas and the beans and the pak choy and the potatoes and potatoes are about to come into flower, which would be lovely. We area of white freckled flower across the back of the show garden. And you can see that the wildlife really likes it because I saw some bumblebees buzzing around earlier. Yeah, they're all part of, you know, I think sustainable ethos to any garden is a mix of floral planting or with water and mature hedgerows and trees. You're, you're encouraging and you're bringing the wildlife in because you're creating the, the environment for them to thrive in. And as they're thriving, they're going to be beneficial to your crops. So it all works. You just stitch into what is harmonious about it and then the design came out of that. 
And then in terms of the hard landscape, and you have some beautiful sandstone, which I believe is from Donegal. Yeah, locally sourced Donegal sandstone was important to find a local quarry, just again for sustainability, cut once, transported down, um, and set as big monolithic features of seating areas. Again, everyone needs to rest as well, and I think with young children, there's a time you need to sit down with one on your lap and let the other one play, so it's... So I'd say in that as well, like just a pocket of seating throughout the garden. You're from the north originally, I believe. Yeah, from Belfast, so based in Belfast and design offices based out of there and just working across the north and down towards Dublin and do show gardens from time to time. Where did your love of landscaping come from? Is it something that you've been interested in from a young child? Always designed, um, always gardened. Earliest memories are wild gardens, wild spaces in rural Ireland. We lived and grew up in the Mourns. So I had that very coastal, rugged mountain landscape of heather and granite and mountains and rivers. And I guess you grew up looking at that and then design school and Queen's architecture. So it's like kind of like more the spatial side of what you create. And then the show gardens just was a good stitch of it all at the end. You know, you're designer and horticulturalist and architect and interpreting a brief and then enjoying planting so it's always just it does work well as the end product to all those facets whenever you look at the the plants and the trees that are in northern ireland compared to, to the south of ireland is there much of a difference there in different counties i think the difference is in landscape the, the, you know you go to coastal areas you go to mountainous areas you go to wind top you know for instance mount stewart is one of the famous gardens in the north it's got an, like a microclimate of low-lying, sheltered on the coast, so it can grow far more range of exotic plants than what I would have found more towards home up in the morns. And yeah, they, and then that can teach you to look at it and say, right, is the planting right for the space it's going into? And then once you get that right, you get the, the, the language right. You know, your ferns and ferns, foxgloves, you would know where to place them then and you would build from that. That's how I started out. You know, you just, you can't, you can't read landscape and then that helps you develop your, your planting style. If we were going to take this garden now and put it in somebody else's garden anywhere in Ireland, would it work well in any environment or does it need to be in a specific area? It would work well in any sheltered environment. Um, if it was on the full coast, it's not a coastal garden, so that would be the only one. But if it was 50 metres back from the coast to a hedge, it would be fine. So any, any family garden, like it's 20 metres by 9 metres, so any family garden, large garden, medium garden. I like the idea of it in public spaces and parks where you can extend the paths out and you've got uh, a lovely motion of pathways and then you can multiply out more of the veg beds and make a larger pool and a larger lawn and you could actually use it as a template to design a public space and then you could give over the community allotment spaces within it. I like the idea of that. I like the idea of changing a very lawn-based public space and bringing more of the planting into it and letting people care for it but also grow in it. So that's one thing I would like to explore more if I could from this garden. Great idea. Well listen, it's lovely to visit it. Thanks so much for your time and for telling me about it and good luck with the judging. No problem, thank you very much. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste with Sharon Noonan.
Welcome back to the best possible taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and just before the break, designer James Purdy shared details about his award-winning Bloom Garden, The Healthy Way, which was sponsored by Healthy Ireland and Bordbea. And earlier on in the programme, we heard all about this year's award-winning BIM Garden, thanks to CEO Jim O'Toole and designer Oliver Sherman. If you're just tuning in, you might want to catch the best possible taste on West Limerick 102 FM when it's repeated on Wednesday mornings at 8am. The podcasts are available to listen to on SharonNoonan.com as well as iTunes and the podcast app. And finally, tonight, we are going back to school in a manner of speaking, thanks to the UCD History of the Irish Diet in Plants Garden, where I met one of the designers, Dr Caroline Elliott Kingston, as well as Chef J.P. McMahon, who was cooking with produce from the garden. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. I'm with Dr. Caroline Elliott Kingston at the UCD Garden here at Bloom 2019. And this isn't your first year having a garden at Bloom, Caroline? No, um, in 2016 I had the UCD Evolution of Land Plants Garden. And now this year we have the UCD History of the Irish Diet and Plants Garden. They're both educational gardens. And it's very much a collaboration between different departments in the university? Very much so. So I am a lecturer in horticulture and crop physiology at the UCD School of Agriculture and Food Science. Dr Mary McClatchy is an archaeologist with the School of Archaeology. And then the garden was designed by four third-year landscape architect students in the UCD School of Architecture, Planning and Environmental Policy. Now, just talk us through the garden because there's different areas in it and it has a special title. Yes. Well, the most important thing, I suppose, about the garden is that it's scientifically accurate. So it's based on years of research. So the garden is divided into five sections telling us what Irish people ate since shortly after Ireland was settled. And the reason we know what people ate in the past is because we uh, use archaeological evidence. So when we collect samples from archaeological digs, the uh, soil etc is brought back to labs and the archaeologists then look to see what pollen or seeds or whatever are in them. So that's how we know what people ate in the past. So the garden is divided into five sections. The first section is the um, early represents early settlers about 8000 years ago and that garden is they were hunter gatherers so foraging was the main part of their diet. It also has very two, two very small ponds in it to represent lakes and lakeshore environments were very important. Uh, places for food procurement so people ate um, not only fish from lakes but they also ate plants from lakes so for example the early settlers ate the seeds of white water lilies and yellow water lilies which they dried and ground down into a powder. The second section then is uh, 5,700 years ago and that represents the first farmers really in Ireland. Farming came in around 6,000 years ago and the garden actually is divided into five sections based on key historical or societal changes that changed our diet dramatically. So the diet, the hunter-gatherer carried on for a long time but once farming came in that changed everything. You see the beginning of enclosure, you see animals starting to be put, for example pigs in small enclosures and um, people then become settled. 
The third section then is medieval trade. So up to that point, everything we ate was native or we, we grew it here ourselves. But then uh, imports started and in the medieval trade section 700 years ago, there was a lot of imports um, coming into Ireland. So things like figs and grapes, for example. Then the fourth section is the um, industrial society. So um, when the industrial revolution happened, that changed farming dramatically. You have the introduction of machinery, so now you go into large-scale farming, and that completely changed the way we produce food in Ireland. You get much more organised field systems. It, co it coincides with urbanisation, people starting to live together in groups, etc. And then finally, the last section is modern day, what we eat today. Um, which, in, which is a very globalised diet. So we started with a, a local uh, but very diverse diet because hunter-gatherers have to eat everything they can get their hands on and we've ended up with a very globalised diet which is also very diverse. It's very interesting that it all started off with the foraging side of things because foraging is so back in fashion now and so on trend. Yes, and actually, interestingly enough, even when farming comes in, foraging does not go out. Um, people stop depending on lakes very rapidly, but all other land plants are still a major part of the diet. And now there's a trend moving back towards foraging. So um, a lot of the plants in our garden are actually what people would consider weeds. So, I mean, people know things like brambles, they collect blackberries. But we have nettles, we have cleavers, we have fat hen, we have um, all sorts of plants that normally people now we'll consider weeds including a lot of arable weeds and pastoral weeds and um, each section has a key plant so for exact uh, for example in section three that's fat hen which um, people used as the leaves as a kind of a spinach and they used the seeds people ate the seeds but they also fed them to their hens to fatten their hens so um, each section has it has a has a kind of a key plant on it and we have a website so all that's on the website people can look that up and there's a number of tree stumps in the garden and they have pineapples bananas oranges all would I, would I be correct in saying imported fruits on them? yes so everything that we eat that is grown in Ireland is planted in the ground everything that we eat that is imported as pr fresh produce that we don't actually grow here um, is up on tree stumps to show that's for two reasons one is it shows that they're not in the ground so so they weren't grown here but the second thing is the tree stumps also represent deforestation as we give more land over to food production and more people and more urbanisation there are fewer trees. There's a lot of symbolism in the garden so whenever visitors come by and look at it do you find that they engage with you and your team a lot just to get more details about what represents what? Yes very much people are actually interested in the story of the garden and um, it represents I think it's a unique opportunity these educational gardens to share scientific research with the public and people are people are actually very interested so this represents years of research um, on what people eat but that's all published uh, typically in scientific publications which the you know are not that easily accessible so the whole point I suppose the UCD two gardens so far are that we make um, information that we have found easily accessible so yeah we're here to answer questions and we've produced a leaflet as well which will be handed out tell me how long does it take to design a garden oh. like this <laughs> when would you start well we're a year and a half working on this one alone and then there's about 15 years research behind it um, but I'm working with uh, four landscape architect students for the last year and a half designing the garden so. it must be very exciting for them and all the more prestigious for their portfolio 
if or when I should say hopefully fingers crossed it wins an award here today well I suppose the great thing about it is not only are we attempting to educate um, people who are the general public who are interested in food but it was a fantastic opportunity for four undergraduate students to actually bring to design something and the main thing is to implement it and to deliver it at a high standard so you know that wouldn't usually be available so it was an education for them as well so for even for the people who are designing it for the public they were learning as well and today you have um, award-winning chef Michelin star chef JP Mahan from Galway he's yes. going to be cooking up some food I presume from the ingredients yes, indeed, in the garden indeed so in the first section he's using nettles and in the second and third section he's using fat hen and then from the third section on he's using ramsons or wild garlic um, so all plants are very easily available uh, easily found and as long as they're foraged from areas you know that are reasonably clean um, they're perfectly safe to eat all of these plants and on our website we have the entire list of plants and we also have information on how they're used so what parts of them you can eat Fantastic. Do you want to give us the web address there in case anybody wants to look it up? It's www.ucdgarden.com. Now come Monday evening you'll have had a number of long days here at the garden. What becomes of the garden then? Are there plans for it or the the items growing on it? Yes, so that hasn't been finalised. Our 2013, our 2016 garden, sorry, that went back to UCD and it's an outdoor classroom. So that was teaching plant evolution. So the undergraduates actually use that in their plant evolution. Um, modules plus we use it as, for outreach school groups and things like that this one is a bit difficult because one of the main difficulties in our food production systems t- today is that most of the plants we eat are annual so we don't have the staff in UCD to replant this garden the last one perennial so you know we can weed it and look after it but most of our food production you have to actually plant the entire garden or if you're a farmer your fields every single year so including the cereals, the potatoes, everything else. So um, the plants, etc., the trees, etc., will all go back to UCD. The plants won't, um, but the uh, imagery, the panels on the back, the metal signs, etc., yes, we, we do have a plan. It's not finalised yet, but that is going that is all going to be reused. So there's no part of the garden that will be binned. The weeds will be composted. All of the fresh produce are being given to a, f- a food cloud charity in Dublin when we take it down after bloom. And then the physical structures are going back into place somewhere else. And presumably it doesn't take as long to take it down as it oh. did to put it up. How long did it take you to <laughs> it build it? <laughs> uh, so we're three full weeks here. And we, do, we started off uh, doing kind of 7.30 to seven o'clock and for the last week it's kind of been 6 30 to 10 o'clock so um it's actually you know it's a very slow process because you're not just planting a garden you're actually planting a garden to show garden standards so everything you know you're trying to produce weeds at um you know at a very high standard which is not easy a lot of them were, were foraged and we've tried to grow them on ourselves etc so uh, it t- we get two days to take it down and we'll have a team in to help us take it down. Well, it looks super and, you know, you can definitely see all the hard work that's gone into it. So best of luck with the judge and we'll be keeping an eye out to see how Great. you get on. Thank you very much. And I hope when people come, they enjoy it. And the main thing is to, uh, there's, there's a website uh, with our own uh, uh, and even with our leaf with our own um, 
uh, email addresses on it. So if people have queries and they don't get to talk to somebody at the show, you know, they, they really should contact us because we're only delighted to share this information. I mean, that's why we're there. We're there, you know, as an educational body. So if we have the answers, we're more than willing to pass them on. Fantastic. Thanks so much, Caroline. Thank you. JP, you've launched Food in the Age for October this year and you did the launch over in London. How did that go? Really, really well. We launched in um, Robin Gill's new restaurant, Derby's, which was uh, fantastic. Robin uh, gave us the space. We had um, we had so many different media. I suppose with everything, I mean, when you go to places like London or New York or Paris, you have a lot of different media there. And I suppose it's easier to get the world talking about things when you go to the, the these places. So for me, it's very important to have um, an international dimension to Food in the Edge, and that's why we always try and have an international launch. Uh, we had some uh, speakers um, who uh, who had sp- uh, sp- we had some past speakers there um, from Food on the Edge with Pierre Kaufman and Claude Bossley and Doug McMaster. I suppose talking about their experience of Food on the Edge, and again, I mean, get, getting people to to realise that it is it's in its fifth year, and a lot of people love it. And when you get people like Pierre Kaufman to say, I mean, they really love it and they love Ireland and they didn't know too much about Ireland before that, particularly Colobossi said all he ever knew of was uh, about Ireland was Guinness and rugby. And now he knows about food and that. So that, that's like, it's really good to, to, to hear that. We also had some of the Irish chefs in London, uh, Anna Howe, Kevin Burke, uh, Aidan McGee and Shauna Froyland do some snacks. Again, to show that we have a lot of Irish people all over the world who are representing us really well with food. For somebody that has maybe never been to Food in the Edge, just mm. explain the format because it is a lot different from... It's not like a food festival, yeah, for example. 100%. And it's also not like a big conference in that people aren't standing talking for hours and end. It's all short, 15-minute yes. chats. Yeah, very much so. So Food in the Edge is a, is a two-day symposium that happens every October. Um, we're, we're in Galway again this year. We've been in Galway for the last, uh, the last four years. Um, and it's kind of like TED-style talks. It's every 15 minutes we have a different speaker speakers are um, from all over the world I mean predominantly we have chefs but again the last couple of years we have uh, different people like from front of house we've had sommeliers we've had farmers we've had different producers I suppose all talking about our food system and how to make it better and how to I suppose get more good food to, to people so we had a lady from Canada last year talking about how to make uh, food in, in hospitals better really probably one of the best talks I found of um, uh, Josh of, uh, of, of, uh, of last year and then we had Carissa from Peru talking about uh, food education and children so it is it, it casts a very very wide net and I think it's anyone associated with the with the food industry or in the food industry again whether like you're a producer or a media or you're a chef I think it's really a place to go to and to be able to I suppose be able to take time and think over the over the two days and I think one of the really important elements of Food in the Edge is the call to action it's not just about standing up talking you want to um, kind of motivate people to actually act and do something as a result of being at it yeah very much so and uh, ever since year two when we realised that chefs wanted to come back and talk about what they had done over the previous year um, we thought that we would fold that into the into the system so every year every year we have people uh, I suppose who not only not only speak about the actions we've done but people also the chefs come back um, from uh, from from the previous year to the audience and tell us like we have Mark Anderson from Gather and Gather who every year comes and he tries to improve whether it's the kitchen culture or whether it's um, uh, buying better produce anything like that and he's also responsible for the delicious food that all the delegates get oh, to 100%. enjoy 100% so I mean we're delighted with them um, Gather and Gather I mean it's a really good fit uh, for Food in the Edge not only because 
because I suppose many of the speakers at Food and the Edge are like at the at the top level from Michelin or 50 best or that and I suppose people often look down upon contract catering because you're feeding an awful lot of people but for me it's the place where you can affect a lot a lot of people you're feeding thousands of people a day and I suppose your choices on food will uh, will will affect a lot of different people so for me it's it's like looking at that looking at hospital food looking at food in, in institutions that's what we need to change and if we change that I think we'll have a better food culture. Now one of the other things I want to ask you about is you always have a lot of people that want to, to be speakers yes. at Food and the Edge. You're oversubscribed every year and you really, you're spoiled for choice whenever yes. it comes to speakers. So you've introduced this year an ambassador programme. Yes. So this is very much, I suppose, grew out of, or the, the thought came out of, I suppose, I, I was a, a Food and the Edge ambassador, food, I was a food ambassador for Falcha Ireland. And I, and I loved the, that idea, the kind of idea behind that was to bring people who were in, involved in the food industry in Ireland uh, up to another level and to show them different stuff and so for me I wanted to try and do that with Food in the Edge to try and spread it out a little bit more so what we're going to do is we're going to take and um, we're taking applications on, uh, at the moment you can apply online or you can nominate someone maybe someone I nominate you Sharon uh, and so uh, people who are I suppose trying to change uh, food or to, trying to get people to think more about um, about food and we're going to pick six and they will be given a ticket to Food in the Edge. They will also be, they also go to the speaker's dinner Monday night and they'll also come on the culinary excursion with the chefs on Wednesday and Thursday. But probably most of all is that they'll be on stage, uh, the six of them, and they will talk about their, their, their food project or what they're doing. And lastly, they'll, they'll go up on the website and hopefully my idea is that every year we will have six new ambassadors and hopefully then in five years' time we'll have 30 ambassadors. And, and it's a way of growing it, uh, not only in Ireland but also, uh, also around the world because I don't know who's going to apply at the moment it sounds really interesting it'll be very exciting to see who ends up getting those I six know, places I know you can nearly go to the Buckies and uh, you can bet <laughs> on who might come now we're talking here today at Bloom an unexpected coincidence that we're both here and you're, you have a collaboration this year at Bloom with UCD yeah UCD have done this wonderful uh, historic garden uh, I suppose it's it's representing Ireland uh, the different periods of Ireland through the plants in people's diets so everything from 8,000 years ago 5,000 years ago um, then we have um, early early farmers medieval industrial and then contemporary all through plants and, and what I did was I came up picked a few of these plants and uh, and cooked them uh, just as opposed to show people that you can A you can use them and a lot of these plants are things that we walk past every single day I mean some of the ones everyone will know is nettles I mean nettles have been used in Irish food since God, for 10,000 years, so since 8,000 BC. Um, chickweed is another one that, uh, that every farmer hates to see. Um, but also re- some other interesting ones that are probably less common, like fat hen, uh, was used a lot in the, in the Middle Ages as a, as a legume. Uh, it's, all, it's very like quinoa, and, and, and again, it's probably something that maybe we can look into growing in Ireland, because uh, it grows everywhere, where I think, where you grow tomatoes, and the farmers treat it as, uh, as weeds. But all the way up to the, up to the contemporary period, where you get stuff like asparagus and... Um, and peas and all sorts of different things so it's interesting to look at it and realise that uh, I suppose for me realise say that we're like we've only been eating bread in Ireland for I don't know say 3,000 years uh, but people have been here 10 and so you, 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 I suppose you start to think about our diet and that our diet is very much linked to our landscape as opposed to just being something there all the time 
you're doing a PhD. Is that related to this? I suppose yes and no. I mean, the, the PhD is in drama with it with NUIG, and it's looking at it's looking at food on stage and as well the representation of food and how people feel about food, not only like emotionally, but in terms of what, how food makes them nostalgic, but also how food has a history and and, and it's very much linked to people's identity. So I, I put on a piece um, last year that um, uh, as part of it that looked at um, that drew on surveys of, of that that I had done with different people. And interesting, a lot of the different foods that people had or their grannies had growing up, things that we suppose, mightn't eat too much anymore, like all of the coddle and all of the, the, the stews and all that. And we put a performance together, and that's going to be on in the Dublin um, Fringe Festival this year. So I have to get that done as well, I know. But I have, I have some good people helping me, because, again, I've not put on plays before, so I'm reliant on, on their expertise. You're a busy man, JP. As always, I. <laughs> well, listen, it's been great to bump into you oh, here. Oh, it's Bloom. wonderful. Enjoy the, the long weekend. You'll be working hard, no doubt, between here and Galway. And I'll be and back on Sunday for, uh, for a demo on the, on the main stage. Uh, so if anyone is uh, around, they can, they can catch me then. Super. Good. Thanks, Thanks very much, Sharon. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. So that was Chef J.P. McMahon talking about this year's Food on the Edge. And J.P. was cooking on the UCD History of the Irish Diet in Plants Garden at Bloom this year. And the UCD Garden won a Silver Gilt Medal. So congratulations to all the designers, all the sponsors, everybody that was involved in a fantastic festival. Another great year for Bloom in the Phoenix Park, thanks to Board Bia. And we look forward to returning in 2020. But in the meantime, that brings us to the end of tonight's show. Thanks for tuning in and to my guests, Jim O'Toole, Oliver Sherman, James Purdy, Caroline Elliott Kingston and J.P. McMahon. And until next time, bon appétit. Thanks for listening to The Best Possible Taste with Sharon Noonan. To get in touch with The Best Possible Taste, email Sharon at SharonNoonan.com or tweet Sharon at Queen of Org. As in, Queen of Organisation. Bon appétit.